So, um, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles? We're going we're gonna to continue to worship together this morning, and, and, and we're jumping back into Matthew 5. And um, as we get back into Matthew, we actually finished Matthew 5 today. I know you're thinking, man, already we just started that like eight weeks ago. I know. Uh, but we are going to finish Matthew 5 today. We're actually going to deal with, with 11 verses. Uh, the last two of the reframes that Jesus has been giving us. Remember, he's been giving us reframes as we've worked through um, in, in Matthew 5. Over here. And, and as part of those reframes, um, he's been giving us um, what the law was, the Old Testament law. And he's been showing us then how the Pharisees have now kind of perverted the law. And they've changed it to be something it was never intended to be. And now he's bringing it back to the heart of the issue. And we continue that today. And one of the ways that that he's continuing that with these last two reframes is by dealing with the issue of revenge and what it is that we're supposed to do for and with our enemies. And he's going to challenge um, this idea about what we are owed. He's going to challenge this idea about some rights that we think we have. See, we live in a country that is obsessed with our rights. These inalienable rights, right? Like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we love life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that's our right. And then we live in a culture that's expanding those rights in a good way. In a good way. Barb, I'm just, I happen to notice that your watch is over there and I don't want you to leave without it. Oh, I will. Okay. Well, at least we got that going for us. I'm going to feel less guilty about it, knowing that we stopped everything so I could remind you. Okay. Uh, Somebody else, don't let Barb leave without her watch. Okay. Um, And and in our culture, right, we've expanded this idea of rights. We have um, civil rights, children's rights, workers' rights. Like, and all of these are very good things for us to be focused on. Here's the issue. The issue is that when our rights start to shift, right, from from basic human rights to things that I feel like I'm owed, things I feel like I'm due, then I've become focused on this self-centered kind of a thing. And the more self-centered I am, then the less I'm living for the kingdom. See, here's the problem. Your rights are good. Your rights are also secondary to the kingdom. Your rights are secondary to the kingdom. Because here's the thing. Jesus was always asking you. Jesus was always asking you to live in a way that was countercultural. Right? We know our heart is, is wicked. Our heart, we're going we're gonna to track through this. And I know some of you are like, wait a minute, Matt, I don't like what you're saying. And I get it. I wouldn't like what I was saying if I was you either. And here's the issue. Like, you're like, my rights are important to me. And your rights are important to you. But your rights are necessarily secondary to the kingdom. You're like, I'm not sure I understand that. It's okay. Track with me here. Um, Here's the deal, right? Jesus has always called his followers to live a life that is radically different than the rest of the world. See, and the rest of the world is naturally focused on its rights. What's mine? What can I expect? What's due me? Right? My my right to to freedom and my, my right to 
to all of these things that should be long to me. And, and this is where I'm focusing. And you know what? It's not wrong to focus there, but Jesus has always said that, that for you, Christian, the way that you are supposed to live your life is less focused about you. You're not supposed to be worried about yourself like the rest of the world is worried about themselves. See, here's the thing. Every reframe that we've had so far as we've gone through the Beatitudes and then we've started to look at all of these different statements. You've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you this. And you've heard it taught this way, but I'm telling you this, right? All of these things, you've heard it this way. That just makes good human sense. Right? It makes good human sense. You've heard it that way because it makes sense. But Jesus says, but I'm telling you, if you want to follow me, it's going to be different than you thought. If you want to follow me, then it's going to look a little different. And this is what we're trying to wrestle with. It's not that the Pharisees were being so weird. It's not like the Pharisees had started to act in a way that was just so crazy. The Pharisees were acting normal. The Pharisees were acting normal. They were demanding normal things. They were demanding what the rest of the culture was demanding. They were demanding their rights. They were demanding what was normal. But Jesus comes along and says, no, no, no. If you want to be my follower, then you can't just live a normal life. It's more than that. And this is what we have to wrestle with because church, Christians, Jesus isn't asking you just to be a nice person. He's asking you to live a life that doesn't make sense to people outside of faith. That's what he's asking from you. So let's, he's asking you to live a life like he lived. You're like, but Matt, I love my rights. I love my rights. Of course you do. But Jesus is asking you to give them up. You're like, Matt, that's not fair. I know it's not fair. But he's asking you to do it anyway. You know how I know he's asking you to do it? See, track with me here. Jesus says he wants you to become more and more like him. He wants you to be more and more like him, right? Nobody would argue that. See, some Christians might say, there's no way Jesus wants me to give up my rights. We might say that, and we might think that's right, except here's the thing. Jesus says, I want you to be more and more like me. God wants you to be more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And here's what we know about Jesus. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up voluntarily. He gave up his divine privilege, his rights. And he took the humble position of a slave. And he was born in human form. And he humbled himself even further in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, right? Jesus didn't think his rights were something to cling to, but he gave them up freely for the kingdom. And now Jesus is coming along in the Sermon on the Mountain saying, you know what? If you are my follower, if you really want to be my follower, if you really want to be with me, then you have to start to live this kind of life too. And it's not normal. It's not normal. And today is no different. He continues today, and he's talking, starting in Matthew 38, and we're going to work all the way through 48, and, and, and we'll do it quickly. And he's talking about this idea of revenge and vengeance and how we're supposed to deal with our enemies. And he starts by saying this, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye 
and a tooth for a tooth. He's like, you've heard that law. And they had heard that law. That law came straight from the Old Testament. Look here, Exodus 21, 24. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. Basically saying, look, if someone causes this harm, then the harm should be done to them in the same way. Leviticus takes it even further. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. That was the Old Testament law. Right? And the reason for that law, that law had two purposes. One, right, the purpose of the law was to make sure that other people knew it's a bad idea to act this way. Because if you act this way, there is a consequence coming. Deuteronomy ferrets that out. Then the rest of the people will hear about it and they will be afraid to do such an evil thing right? You must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. If you kill someone out of anger, if you murder someone, right, then guess what? The law said your life then would be the payment. And you're like, well, Matt, that's harsh. Yeah, it's harsh, right? And it's harsh by design because the design is this. People will see that, and they will be afraid to commit that kind of thing. They'll say, oh, no, 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 no. When you kill somebody, your life is demanded from you in response. When you break somebody, when you fracture their bones, when you cause them to lose their vision, um, I don't, a foot for a foot, that one seems weird to me. I don't know. I'm having trouble figuring out what that fight would look like, right? But whatever it is, right? I'm supposed to see that and say, no, 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 the consequence for that is coming and it is swift and it is just, and I want to stay away from that. So it is a deterrent. This is God's design in this law that it would deter this kind of harming one another. The other thing is this, this is actually a law of mercy and grace, right? It's a law of mercy and grace because if I am wronged and injured, well then, here's what I can do. I can be real careful, right, about the kind of revenge that I need to look for. Because how easy is it, right? When we're wronged, when we're wronged, when somebody violates our rights, when we're wronged, what am I looking for? I'm looking for a pound of flesh. I want revenge. If you hurt me, I want to get even. If you wrong me, I want to wrong you right back. I mean, what's the thing we tell our kids? And we have to tell our kids because they don't naturally believe it. What do we tell them? Two rights don't make a wrong. No. Thank you. Help me. I mean, it's true. Two rights don't make a wrong. So technically, I said truth. Deal with it. However, what we tell our kids is two wrongs don't make a right. Because what's our natural inclination when I'm wronged is to go get even. And, and, and this is God saying, stop it. It's not about getting even. It's about justice. Right? And so this puts a limit on what I am allowed to seek in retribution. Because we want a pound of flesh for an ounce of wrong because our rights were violated. 
And so we get so used to this. And God says, no, 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 there's a limit to that. Here's the other thing. When I'm wronged, this law assures me, it assures me that it will be taken care of, that it will be taken seriously. I don't have to be the one to do it because the law says it will be taken seriously. So I can step out of it. No longer am I in a position where I must seek vengeance. See, because this was a problem in the Old Testament. It was a problem in the way that the civilizations around that time lived, all the civilizations that surrounded Israel. And, and it's, frankly, it's a problem with the way we, we live. When we are wronged, we want vengeance. We might not call it vengeance. We might call it something different, but it's what we're looking for. We want to get even. We want to set the record straight. We want to teach them a lesson. We want them to know. We want everybody else to know. We want to save face. We want to make sure that people know that we stood up for ourselves and that, and that we didn't let people take advantage of us. And so when God puts this in effect, he's doing it as a grace for us so that we don't cross a line. And he's doing it as a grace for the person who committed the offense that they're not having to pay more than they should. And it's a deterrent for anybody else that wants to break the law. And so he says, you've heard the law that says punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The problem is that was always a civil law. That was meant to be a civil law. What I mean by civil, and we've talked about different caveats of the laws. We've gone through uh, Matthew 5, but the civil law was this is, this is what would happen as a nation. When you wronged somebody, let's say that you caused somebody to be blind, the law said, hey, eye for an eye, you're losing your eyes, right? But that's not me in vengeance saying, oh, I'll show you. That's a civil issue, right? There's a judge. There's a large group of, of my peers. We call that a jury, right? There's this, this thing where, where there is a legal process to go through civilly to decide what the punishment is. But what happened with the Pharisees is they had taken this uh, instead of being a restriction on the way this works, instead of this being the law that would be followed in civil courts, and they, they'd moved this to a personal thing. And because they were in power, because they had authority, they were allowed to do so. And so what happened is, whenever they felt slighted or they felt wronged, right, they felt like they had a God-given obligation and right to seek their own personal retribution. This is why they're walking around looking for ways to kill Jesus, because they feel slighted. He said things against them. They felt wounded. And so what, do they, what, is, what does the word tell us time and time again? They started looking for ways that they could kill Jesus as their own, their own judge jury, and executioner. Because he offended them, he wounded them, and an eye for an eye meant they could go take vengeance. And so Jesus says, like you've heard, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. It's like, but the way the Pharisees are living this out is all wrong. So here's what he says. I say, you are not to resist an evil person. But you're like, Matt, what if they offend me? 
Yeah, no. You're not to resist an evil person. What if they say untrue, mean things about me? Yeah, no. What if they slap me in the face? Well then, you turn the other cheek. What if they sue me? Right? What if they sue me in open court and because they sued me, my shirt is taken away from me? Now give him your cloak. Give him your coat. But, but what if a soldier, what if the very person that's oppressing me demands that I carry the instruments of that oppression because he doesn't want to? Right? Roman law said that a soldier could make a civilian or, or could, could make a, a, a civilian that, that they were occupying their territory. And if a soldier had to go somewhere so that they could stay fresh, they could make a civilian carry their equipment about 75 pounds worth for up to a mile. And that they could do that without violating their rights. And so think about that. You're being oppressed by this person. Not only are you being oppressed by him and and they're over you, he's saying, hey, carry the tools of, of, of your oppression for me for a mile so I can take it easy and relax. Jesus says, if they force you to do that, because they actively force people to do that in Jesus's day under Roman occupation. He says, if they force you to do that, then here's what you do. Carry it another mile. Carry it another mile. He tells you to carry it a mile, you carry it the extra mile. You ever wonder where that expression comes from? It's biblical. When you go the extra mile, right? You're like, why would I go the extra mile? I don't know, because Jesus told you to, because it's in there. And what if people keep asking me? What if, what if, what if they keep asking me for stuff? Give to those who ask. Don't turn away those who want to borrow, especially if there's a genuine need. Now, we have to understand all of this. All of this, Jesus isn't saying that be a passive weakling. He's not telling you to be a passive weakling. It's not what he's saying to you. He's not saying that, that you have no rights. You do have rights, right? You have rights for dignity. When somebody slaps you in the face... Figuratively or literally, when they slap you in the face, they are actively attacking your dignity. And you have a God-given right to dignity. You are made in the image of God. And in the image of God, you have the right to be treated with dignity. But we live in a broken world. And in a broken world, sometimes people try to rob you of your dignity. And you might feel justified in trying to rob their dignity in return. How dare they say that about me? How dare they suggest that about me? How dare they challenge me in that way? How dare they? You have a right to dignity. But Jesus says, you know what? That right to dignity, that's secondary to the kingdom. And if you're focusing on your right to dignity, then you're missing. You're missing something important. That you were supposed to be different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world exercises their right for dignity. They stand on it. They shout about it. They scream about it. They go get it. They take an eye for an eye. Not you. And we have a right, right? You have a right to your property and you have a right to your liberty and your freedom and you have a right to all of these things. And they are real rights. 
Nobody is ever going to say that they're not your rights to have. But Jesus says, listen, sometimes, not when we're, we're not talking about a civil thing. We're not talking about a system that's broken that we push back against. We're not talking about something legally where we take people, uh, where, where people are arrested and taken to court. Listen, somebody wrongs you in a legal way, you are right to press charges. Civilly, you are right to do this. This is a civil law. But personally, when somebody wrongs you, Jesus says you need to be willing to overlook that. You're like, Matt, that's not normal. That's not what people do. No, but it's what Christians are supposed to do. Like, that's not easy. Well, of course it's not easy. Of course it's not easy. And it bleeds right into this next one because um, he talks then about, like, like so here's the deal, right? You, you know that you're, listen, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. You're not supposed to always look for vengeance and revenge. You're not supposed to try to get even. Yeah, the rest of the world wants to get even, but you're not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to think that. You're supposed to understand that God's got your back and it's going to be fine. And, and, and it bleeds right into this then. He says, so you, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Because that's what the Pharisees taught. The Pharisees taught you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And here's the problem. Hate your enemy was never part of the Old Testament. That like, like Leviticus, all through the books of law, we read that we're supposed to love our neighbor. In fact, when, when somebody challenged Jesus in Matthew 22 and said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is. All of the law and prophets, all of the Old Testament law can be summed up in the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That was the Old Testament law. But what the Pharisees started to do is they started to teach this extra thing that if it's not your neighbor, you should hate them. Actively teaching, love your neighbor. Yes, God says love your neighbor, love your neighbor. If it's not your neighbor, then you hate them. That's why, that's why one of the people that, that was there said, okay, but Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because the idea was I love my neighbor, but I can hate everybody else. And the Jews had turned this into some very clear thing. Love people like you. If they look like you, if they think like you, if they talk like you, if they act like you, then love them. Of course love them. But if they think differently than you, if they look differently than you, if they act differently than you, if they believe differently than you do, then you ought to hate them. And that was a very clear Jewish teaching at the time. In fact, one of the Pharisaical sayings, and, and, and we found this, we've seen this, this is written in a scroll of Pharisaical rules. Here's one of these statements, just so you can get a flavor for what this was like. If a Jew sees a Gentile, and a Gentile was someone who was not a Jew, anybody that wasn't a Jew, they considered a Gentile. If you see a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by, let him by no means lift him out. If a Jew sees a Gentile fall into the sea, let him drown. Like you're standing there, like he's in the same boat as you. He falls in and he's like, help me, I'm drowning. You're like, oh, hands are tied. The law says, I love my neighbor, but I hate my enemy. And you're different than me. You're my enemy. 
drown. Right? This is, this is actually the command that the Pharisees are giving the people. If a Jew sees a Gentile fall into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. For it's written, thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor. I won't hurt my neighbor. But this man is not your neighbor. I mean, that's the teaching. And can I tell you what? That's the teaching in some churches today. You love them when they look like you and when they sound like you and when they believe what you believe, but otherwise you hate them because they are against you. Except we clean it up a little bit and we say, here's the deal. They're against God. We're like, well, if they're against God, then we got to get them. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You were never supposed to hate anybody, right? You've heard the saying that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, this is Jesus talking. I say, and this isn't new. It was always supposed to be this way. I say, love even your enemies. Why? Because Jesus always intended that you see everybody else. God always intended that you see everybody else as your neighbor. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Right? The parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us two things, right? One is that our neighbors aren't who we think they are. Our neighbors, right, can be people that aren't like us. People that believe differently than we believe. People that that argue with us, people that very vehemently think that we're wrong about certain things. Our neighbors can be all kinds of people that disagree. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm telling you, you need to love your neighbors and you need to love your enemies because your enemy is anybody in, I'm sorry, your, your, your neighbor is anybody that's out there, whether they think differently than you and whether they have a need. We're talking about, you're like, man, listen, We got our own problems right here in Vinton. Why are we worried about people in Haiti having sustainable housing? Right? Listen, you didn't say it, but I know that there's at least two of you. Please don't raise your hand. That's awkward and weird. Don't do it. But I know there's at least two of you, maybe even two and a half, right? That we're thinking the the half is somebody that wasn't sure if they should think that way or not, but it crossed their mind. You're thinking we got plenty of issues right here in Vinton. Why in the world are we raising money for sustainable housing in another part of the world? Right? Because, because your neighbor isn't just the person that lives next door to you. Your neighbor is anybody that has a need and you're called to love them. You're called to pour yourself out for them. That was the the whole point of of, of the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Um, Is that you're being neighborly when you see a need and you meet it at a personal expense to you. You sacrifice your rights. Matt, that's my comfort. I have a right to my comfort. Yeah, I know. But you sacrifice your comfort. Matt, I I have a right to to my stuff. Yeah, but you sacrifice that. But Matt, it's my time. It's my schedule. I have a right to it. I know, right? But when it comes to meeting the need of a neighbor, we're sacrificing these things. And, and so Jesus is like, no, no, the Pharisees have been telling you all wrong. No, no, no. You, you don't just love people like you. You love everybody. That means the people that are hard to get along with, the tax collectors, the sinners, the mean people, the people who hurt your feelings, the people who talk bad about you, the people who might spread a rumor, the people who you might think, well, they brought that onto themselves. You're supposed to love them and not just love them, 
but you're supposed to demonstrate that love with action. That love is supposed to have feet. Because it's not enough to just say, you're right, you know what? I love you. But what does James tell us? Man, if you see your brother and he's cold, you don't just say to him, man, I love you. Good luck today. Stay warm. Go get him. No, but that you meet their need. That that's what real faith is. That's what real love looks like. And so every time we have the opportunity to see a need, Jesus says, that's what it looks like to love your neighbor. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, everybody is your neighbor. You are to love them all. Yes, the people that are good to you, the people that are like you, the people that are in your family, the people that are in your church body. Yes, you're to love them, but it's more than that. You're to love the people that irk you. You are to love the people that drive you crazy. You are obligated. Listen, church, I'm going to tell you this now. You're obligated to love me. You're like, but Matt, you're annoying. I know. I know. I get it. You're like, but Matt, it's time for you to be done. And you're still preaching. I know. But you are obligated to love me. It's in the Bible. So there. You got to love people that think differently politically than you do. You got to love people. You got to love people that feel like the God you worship isn't real. You got to love them. You got to love people who challenge you with everything they have. You've got to love them. Not because they're your enemy, but because they're your neighbor. Jesus says there's no room for hate. If we really do belong to God, if we really do belong to Jesus, then we're supposed to be known for this kind of love. Listen, this love is the purest marker of Christian faith lived out. Because the rest of the world doesn't love like this. And he says, it, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. Pray for those that persecute you. Listen, you don't want one of the best ways to love people you don't like, pray for them. Because it's hard to love what somebody does sometimes. They talk bad about me. They hurt me. They stab me in the back. They continually, continually tear me down. It is really hard to love what some people do. They stand up and they protest for things that I'm against. How am I supposed to love somebody that does those things? It is sometimes impossible to love people for what they do. But you can always love who they are. And you're like, Matt, you don't know them very well. Yes, I do. Because here's who they are. They are people made in the image of God that are in desperate need. They are in desperate need of the salvation that God offers. And you know who used to be there? I did. And when I was a part, when I was apart from the grace of God, when I was somebody that was made in the image of God, but apart from the grace of God through the cross, I was that guy that's hard to love. And there are still people that loved me. And when you were away from the grace of God, you were hard to love. I'm not selling you short. I know some of you still are. Like me. But people loved you anyway. I promise you, before you came to know Jesus, people prayed for you. People prayed for you. Before I came to know Jesus, there were people that were praying for me. 
Before you came to know Jesus, there were people that were praying for you. Jesus says you are to love everybody. Everyone is your neighbor. Stop hating people. Hate's never been part of the equation. If you belong to me, you are to be known by love. And one of the best ways you can love people is you can pray for them. Even when they're hard to like, you can pray for them. It says in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. This is basically his way of saying, look, I act in loving ways towards them. They're my enemies. They hate me but I act in loving ways towards them. Do you really belong to me? If you really belong to me, then you will love them also. And this is the kicker, right? He's like, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Because even tax collectors and corrupt people, they do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, then how are you different from anyone else? Because that's what normal people do. Normal people love people that are nice to them right? We love people that agree with us. But he says, you're supposed to be different than that. Listen to me. If you only love people that love you in return, then you are not a loving person. If you can only love people that love you in return, then you're not really being loving. You're just being prudent. Because of course you love people that love you. Why wouldn't you? If you're only nice to people that can be nice to you back, then you're not really nice. You're just smart. It's like we say this too. We, we always say we want to be a welcoming church. We want to be a friendly church that talks to people. Well, if you only talk to people that you already know, you're not really being very welcoming you're just having a conversation with somebody you know. Like, like, I mean, we can see this, right? You have to understand how this works, right? If we can't love people that don't love us in return, then how are we being like Jesus? Because here's what he did. He died for us while we were still sinners. While we were still his enemies, he died so that we could be made right. And we're supposed to be like Jesus. Jesus died for us so that we could become right with him. He loved us while we were still far away. That's what we're supposed to do. This is the whole point that Jesus is making. It's like, you're supposed to be different. And he says, listen, they say, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies because you are supposed to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. And can I just say this last thing as we wrap up? Don't soften that. We have a tendency to soften that. We read that and say, well, nobody can be perfect. So Jesus really just means try hard. Jesus really just means keep working, try hard. No, no, that's not what Jesus means here. He means you be perfect because your father in heaven is perfect. The, the Greek word he uses for perfect there is the word we use to finish, to be done, to bring something to completion. It is not a word we use for effort. There are other words he could have used if he meant use better effort. He says, be perfect because your father in heaven is perfect. Be finished, be mature, be done growing up. And you're like, Matt, I can't do that. That's the point. Of course you can't do that, right? The rest of the world does the best they can. They love people that, they, that love them back and they hate people that don't like them. And they try to get even because their rights are most important. That's what they do, but you be perfect. Like, Matt, how can I be perfect? You can't. 
but through Jesus you can. The whole purpose of salvation, the whole purpose of coming to the cross, the whole purpose of all of it is so that you will become more and more like him. And if you aren't becoming more and more like him, then you're squandering your salvation. All of, all of this, all of the Sermon on the Mount inevitably pushes us to this position where we know that we need Jesus. Listen to me. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, then all of these things we've been talking about over these past weeks, working through Matthew 5, all of them should be pushing you to this inevitable conclusion. I can't do this without Jesus. And if that's you, if you've been trying to do this without Jesus, then it's no wonder that it's not working for you. It's no wonder that it's frustrating. It's no wonder that it's exhausting. It's no wonder that it doesn't make sense. It's no wonder that you're always leaving church feeling bad about yourself instead of feeling justified and good. If that's you, you need Jesus. For the first time ever, maybe you just need to surrender to Jesus. It's not complicated. It just goes like this. You say, Jesus, I need you. I've been trying to live this life on my own. And even when I try to be good, it's not good enough. I need you to do it for me. I give up. I give away all the things that I've done wrong, all the ways that I've strived and failed, and I'm committing myself to going your way. If you haven't done that before, there is no time like the present. But on top of that, maybe you've done that once, twice, a hundred times, and it's still hard for you, then here, here's the deal, right? We're never at a point where we don't still need Jesus. The gospel is not good for one thing and then it's done. The gospel is always there to be changing us and transforming us and making us more like Jesus. You're like, Matt, I can't be perfect. I know you can't, but you can let Jesus in you fix it. And you can surrender even more to Jesus and you can let Jesus continue to change you. Listen, there is nobody here that doesn't need Jesus. Maybe you need Jesus for the first time ever. Or if you've been coming for a while and you've already committed yourself to Jesus, maybe you're in a position where what you need to do is you need to just keep surrendering so that Jesus will keep working. Wherever you are this morning, I promise you this, you need Jesus. And there's no better time than now to ask him to meet that need. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for who you are. God, if there is somebody here that does not know you personally and has never surrendered to you, I pray that you will continue to convict them in their heart and continue to, to push the truth. God, that they need to surrender. That they need you. Because this is a, an impossible task on their own. And God, for those of us here that have surrendered to Jesus but are still struggling with, with how to live this life that honors you, that, that is clearly other, that is different than the rest of the world, God, I, I pray that we would surrender to you as well and that we would ask you to guide us and to help us and to change us from the inside out. God, we thank you for the children that were dedicated. We thank you for the word that we've gotten about missions. I pray that we will take those things to heart God, as we go from here, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for who you are and for everything that you've done for us. We thank you, most importantly, for the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. God, we love you and praise you. Amen.